My subject tonight is two lives contrasted. We have read Psalm 1 and this is really a very stark contrast between two absolute opposites. There is a gulf between. This is not anything similar at all. The description before us is deliberately stark. It uses a form of hyperbole or perhaps exaggeration to make it so distinct. Of course, the great need of men and women is that we might be blessed by God. It's no coincidence we turn to the longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, and the very first word in the Hebrew and in the English is the word blessed. Blessed. This is what God desires for every single individual. And it is, of course, the great need of men and women and young people that we might have the blessing of Almighty God. We who are so needy, we who are bankrupt, lost, fallen, away from God, and only his blessing can change the natural condition and state that all of us are in. Our natural condition is described in this psalm, and also what can happen when God's rich blessing comes into a life. In verse 1 we see a description, and it's repeated in verse 4. It uses the term ungodly. And that word means we are not like God at all. We are so different. Every aspect of his character, we're the opposite. We are ungodlike. He is perfect, we're not. He does not change, we change, we're so fickle. He knows everything, we know so little. The ungodly, of course it means as well that our lives are characterized by the things that God hates, sin. The ungodly. And so isn't it delightful that in this book we find the first word, blessed, Supremely happy, content beyond any description, is the person who is the very opposite of the ungodly. The ungodly are described as walking, standing, and sitting. The three different postures, I'm sure. You can jump in the air, you can try to fly, but the three main positions that we have we walk. Our life is a journey. And we stand, looking around, and we sit. Sometimes we lie down as well, but it's saying, in every aspect of life, blessed is the man that's not like the person who is ungodly, that walks and stands and sits, in ways which God hates. 
This psalm is such a contrast for us. God is making a statement. He's saying, I want, I desire, it's my purpose to shower blessing upon you. Everybody here tonight, this is good news. This is what your God, my God, desires to do in your life, through your life, for your life. He desires to make you supremely happy. Just think of this world. Just think of the things that we contemplate. Family breakdown, we've heard about that this week. Loss and tragedy, we hear about that so often. Sadness, addiction, death, loss, separation, everything about this life when you think about it. It makes us unhappy. And yet God says at the beginning of this book, which maybe is this the most read book in the world, the book of Psalms, which people love to turn to because it gives us such help. And God says right at the beginning, blessed is the person that doesn't have a life like that. And the person that has a life like this instead is the person that I will bless. And that person will have the happiness of God, contentment, prosperity, spiritually and emotionally. That's the person. And God, of course, has infinite resources. He's not limited in the number of people that he can and that he will and that he desires to bless. Of course, all that come to him, God will in no wise cast out. Anybody that says, I want to live a life with contentment, happiness, blessing, the smile of God, he will never turn them away. What a comfort that is. This psalm, which gives us such a contrast, and we read, blessed is the man, blessed is the person, the young person. Of course, the whole Bible, when you think about it, it's full of contrasts. It's one of the ways that God helps us. He uses pictures, he uses analogies, and he uses contrasts. So often, just think day and night. The ungodly person sits in night. The godly man or woman sits in the light in the day. The ungodly person is ruled by a cruel ruler that wants to take the life away. Steal, rob, lie. But the godly person is ruled by a loving God. A God that wants to give life and bless life and help life and encourage life. You just think of Cain and Abel, two brothers, two contrasts. Think of the wise and the foolish virgins. That parable, so apt, those ready for the kingdom of heaven, for God's return, for the bridegroom to come, and those that were so foolish, no thought for their soul, no thought for eternity. Look at the contrast in life 
between the ungodly and the godly, we have two different passports. Where does your passport take you to? Do you have a passport for heaven? Written in love, saying you can come unto me. Your sin will not be a barrier. You can step over the border. Or do you have a passport that says no entry? You can't come any nearer because your sin keeps you out. Two different destinations, the Bible speaks about that. But look here in verse 2. We see the ungodly person and the godly person. The godly person, their delights are different. The things that please them, the things that they spend their time doing, his delight, the godly person, the Christian man, the Christian woman, their delight is in the law of the Lord. The term for law of the Lord means everything that God has written, everything that he said is good, we delight in. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you know what this world tries to do? Tries to make a Christian and a non-Christian overlap. Tries to make the difference so small it's just ticking a box, going to a place. It's saying a few prayers. It's having a few people that encourage you and tell you what to do and how to live. And it's just so similar. Everybody has their own way of thinking. But the Bible says the opposite. It says a Christian man and an ungodly man are so different. The non-Christian considers that humanity is essentially good. We look at the world and yes, we make a few mistakes, we make a few errors, but essentially men and women are good. The Christian says no. The whole of humanity has a deep problem. We are characterized by a one word, ungodly. Isn't that true? How else can we explain why the world is as it is today? So we're not surprised when we come to this psalm that we see such a stark difference presented. Let's look under three headings. The unblessed life. That's what this psalm describes. Side by side with the blessed life. We'll look at that in a minute. The unblessed life. Oh, friends tonight, is there someone here and you know that you haven't got the smile of God in your life? You don't please him? You don't know him? You don't delight in him? Your path, your direction in life, the things that you do or you walk and you sit and you stand, they're the very opposite of what God loves. That's a life that God won't bless. Is that the life you really want? The unblessed life. Spiritual blessings will be denied. You won't have his help. You won't have his comfort. 
You won't have his promises. You won't have his encouragement. You won't have Christian friends. You won't have any of those things because that's the unblessed life. It says very starkly, verse 4, I'm looking at it the other way round, the ungodly, unblessed life first. The ungodly are not so. Doesn't that stand out? Everybody that rejects God, everybody that refuses to surrender and submit to his rule, they are not so. The ungodly are not blessed. It's a horrible thing to say to somebody. You are cursed. They used to do that in the Middle Ages, didn't they? They would cast a spell in their superstitious medieval thinking. A person would be cursed. The ungodly are not so. Sober words, isn't it? The ungodly will be denied blessing. The ungodly will have good things taken away from them. Their life will become poorer and poorer. They'll become impoverished. Look at the picture here. They are like the chaff. Well, the word in the Hebrew means to have the life squashed and squeezed out of you. It doesn't actually mean the husk. That word came in the English only in the 12th century. But it's what it literally means. It's a good picture. The ungodly are like the shell on a grain of wheat. What's left? Just an empty husk. There's nothing in it. All the good things been taken out. The thing of value is no longer there. Just an empty husk. When we think of chaff, we think of the debris and the dust and the empty husk. It's got no value at all. In fact, it's uncontrollable. It's unstable. In the ancient days, it would be burned up. It would be an annoyance. It would be an irrelevance. It was of no purpose whatsoever. Oh, this is harsh. Is that what God says about those that reject him? He does. The ungodly are not so. The Bible doesn't mince its words. It says it so plainly, but they are like. Their lives are characterized by just a body. Nothing good inside. No soul for God, no love for his word, no love for his truth, and the wind just tosses them around. They go from one thing to the other. This is the best thing. This is the best thing. That's not stable. They're not in the same place for two minutes. Maybe they move from one job to the next and one home to the next. They're looking, searching. And there's nothing good there. The unblessed life. Just like chaff. Tossed up. Well, what a contrast then. Let's spend more of our time looking at the blessed life. The total opposite here. In this lovely picture in verse 3. He 
the blessed person, the one who has accepted that God is God, the one who has delighted in his law, this person is planted. Just pause there. The care of the farmer. The farmer doesn't throw the seed. The farmer puts the seed in the right place. Yes, even in the ancient picture, it's put in the right place, in the right field, in prepared soil. And the seedling is placed in the ground, planted. And that's what God does to the godly person. Their life is cared for. It's curated, it's nurtured. The conditions are just right for blessing, for roots going down. This person is like a tree planted. Where? In the desert? No, by a river. By a river that's well supplied, even in the drought. This river will supply the the tree. This person will have never-ending resources that the world can't see. The roots go down deep and it's drawing, drawing from the river. That's the godly person's life. This tree is thriving. It's got much fruit, fruits of character. This tree is stable, it's solid when the wind blows, the trials of life. This tree won't blow down. Its roots go down deep. The roots attach themselves to the rock that lies under the riverbed. Look at the leaves. In the picture, the, the leaves don't fall off. And the fruit comes just at the right time, in its season. This is a strong tree. It's a beautiful tree. It's a tree of stature. You look at this person's life. And friends, we've known many examples of this here. We look back on dear believers' life and they've lived 90, 95 years plus fruit, love, faithfulness, godliness. A life given to others. A life that's giving its fruit in due season. What a difference. This tree is admired. You go down to the riverside and you look at it and say, look at this tree. Oh, it's a lovely tree. It's so strong. Its branches, they can support the life of others. Birds come and rest. Insects feed. This is a tree that's well supplied and it cares for others. It's prosperous. He doeth whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is a picture of a man and a woman. This is a life lived for God. It's a life that's blessed. It's reliable. It doesn't move. It's rooted deep. What a glorious, glorious picture is this life, the life lived for God, the life that God blesses in a way that only he can. Is that your life? Which of these two pictures describes your life tonight? We each walk, we stand, we sit, 
which is your life? Chaff blown around or this beautiful tree with a thick trunk, solid branches, fruit and leaves and everything that God intended. The tree is being what it was intended to be. Is that my life? A life lived for God is a life that will be blessed. But a life that is ungodly is one that God will reject. And God will draw the life out so there's no pleasure, there's no joy. What a difference when you sit by the bedside of somebody dying that doesn't know Christ, that has no heavenly hope. Their life has withered. There's been no fruit. There's no leaves of beauty. Because the life wasn't lived for God. The life was lived for self. The life didn't have the pleasure that God intended and the blessing that he really wanted within that life. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. What does this mean? Let's go back to the blessed life. This person sees God's laws, the ten of them, a summary of the law, how we live in relation to God, and six, how we live in relation to one another. And these things, these ten things, we say, they are good, they are pure, they are right. I can't keep them because I'm a sinner. And that shows me I need a saviour, one who kept them for me perfectly. Once that person becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've repented of their sins. The law of God is what we love. If somebody challenges and says, that's not right, we say, yes, I'll put it right. In my life, his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does this person think about? They go to bed. If they can't sleep, they think about the laws of God, his ways the things that he loves, the things which are true and good and noble. And we go to sleep and we wake up in the night and God's word is in our hearts and in our thoughts. What a difference. Elsewhere it says the ungodly person spends the night thinking of mischief, what they can get up to the next day. But the godly person desires what God loves. Their thoughts, their choices, their priorities, their ways, their goings are for God. What do you live for? Do you live for God? When you go to school or work tomorrow, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for God? You might have a job in an office. It might be a menial task, filling in forms on a computer, doing this, doing that. But do you do it to the glory of God? Do you do it for him? Do you take delight in everything that you do in your life 
because you know you're doing what pleases God, his delight, his pleasure. The things that please that person, the godly person most, is the things that God loves. What a difference. The meditations of the heart of this person are pure. They think about what they can do for others. They think about how they can help their neighbor, help their friend, help their family. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Well, here's my question as we draw to a close. Does it matter? You've seen these two radically different lives, chalk and cheese, black and white, whatever difference you want to use, whatever picture, does it matter? Can't we just say, each to his own? Can't we just say, live and let be? Does it really matter? Well, it does, friends, because God knows every life. God knows the end from the beginning. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He knows everything you think about, everything you say, everything you do, every choice. It's known to him. And this contrast is what will divide heaven and hell. This determines where you spend eternity. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Those, they're not righteous people themselves. They're not godly themselves. They're not holy. But their desire to be holy is one which God blesses. Because they've surrendered their whole life. They've said, I don't want to live that way anymore. And they've turned to him. Here's the contrast in verse 6. But by contrast, the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's what happens to the chaff. It was once living. It had life. But the life has been sucked out of it. Squeezed out. The word also means extortion. That's what the world does. That's the ungodly person. The life sucked out so that person one day will perish. There'll be nothing left. Just a shell. Just bones in a box. Just ashes. The life of that person will perish. That's their physical life. Of course, that's not the end. We have souls that never die. But our eternal destiny has already been determined because our life was ungodly. God didn't bless it because we didn't submit, we didn't bow, we didn't come before him. Look down at verse 12 in Psalm 2 and that's partly why we read the two Psalms. In the Hebrew there is no heading that divides them, and some think they are one psalm, but they have two great contrasts. Verse 12, kiss the son, 
Kiss the Son. Who is it talking about? Surrender, submit. Leave your ungodly life. Turn to God. Surrender to him. Give up your old life. That's the call. It's the call of repentance. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Kiss the sun. It's a beautiful image. We don't kiss him literally. We come and we say, our love is now for God. Our love is for Jesus Christ, the Son. That's what Psalm 2 is about. It's about one who will come. Verse 6, I have set my king, the loving, godly king, the king who's the opposite of the world. I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, the church, where Christ would one day go and die. Come back to verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. God is angry with the ungodly. God is angry with all who won't turn to him. You know that famous sermon? It was written out. The preacher Jonathan Edwards read it. He read all his sermons, but it became the most famous sermon ever preached in America. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. A sermon used greatly when it was preached and many times more since. Kiss the Son, submit to him. Lest he be angry with your life and with your sin and with the waste of what he gave you and ye shall perish from the way. That's what will happen to all who will not come when his wrath is kindled but a little. The wrath of God is so vast. Do you know the wrath of God is mentioned twice? The times as the love of God in the Bible? Have you ever thought of that? God is angry. It's not that he's twice as angry, but it's to emphasize something that this world gets the other way round. Lest she perish from the way when his wrath is kindled just a little. But let's finish with this phrase in verse 12. As the psalm in two parts began, blessed are all they, every single person that puts their trust in the Savior, that comes to him, comes to his cross, comes to him and says, God, be merciful to me. And they put their trust in him. Their life will be radically different. Have you done that? Have you kissed the son? Have you come before him on your knees and said, God, be merciful. I have no desire to live the life I've lived. I want to leave it behind. And I want the godly way. I want to be like a tree planted by the waters that's fruitful. I don't want to be any more like the chaff, a waste of time and space. 
Blessed are all they that put their trust. Don't trust yourself. Trust Jesus Christ. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ back there in Psalm 2. This is Christ lifted up on the cross, giving his life to take the punishment of my sin because I deserved it, because he loved me so much that he was willing to die in my place. And now all I need to do is to trust him and to turn from my sin. What a difference. How will you live your life this year? Will you walk the ungodly path any longer? Or will you desire the blessing of Almighty God that makes rich, the blessing of Almighty God that no one else comes near? Paul speaks about that, Ephesians 1 verse 3, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's the life of a believer, a Christian boy or girl, a Christian man or woman that has put all their trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, O Lord, make us to understand the vast gulf between the Christian and the non-Christian. Help us to see that it's not a small difference, but it's two different lives. May we desire to live for God, having come to the cross and trusted in Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to us tonight, we pray. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake,